I'm Mike Brinkman. I'm the pastor of operations, and so uh, I'm just going to share a few thoughts with you this morning. Um, for those of you that are looking at the Wyzetta Weekly, either digitally or on a piece of paper, it says communion. Uh, we had some communion supply issues um, in that it was went bad. I'm, I haven't seen that before, but that was kind of short notice for us. So we are not doing communion today. We will do that at a later date. Uh, let me pray for us. Lord, I praise you that you are a God that, that brings new stuff, that changes lives, that walks alongside of us that blesses us in so many ways. And so I pray that you would uh, bless us here this morning with your spirit and your understanding. In your name I pray, amen. So I'm not a car guy. If you know me at all, I don't do cars. I drive them, I like driving them, but I don't fix them or touch them or any of those kind of things. And so, but I do know enough that says you have to continue to change your oil. Your oil is your lifeblood in your car. And so what happens is you take it in for an oil change, or apparently you can do it yourself, they tell me. You take it into a place and they change your oil for you, and they take the oil out and put new stuff in, And but they need some way to protect that oil, because that oil is the lifeblood and the, all the positive and keeps, um, keeps damage from happening in your car when it generates that much heat or, or uh, friction and those kind of things. And so you have an oil filter. And so I brought an oil filter this morning. And this is an oil filter off of my 2000 Honda. Who has a, a birthday this year. It's 21 years old. We're excited. Um, so this is a, a 2000 Honda filter. So what it does is it just has a hole in the bottom and the oil goes through, filters around in there, magically pulls out dirt and chunks and anything that can damage your engine. So, um, so I do know that about cars. Well, a couple weeks ago, I went and I took, the church has a church bus. It's a 25-passenger little airport shuttle-looking thing. And we were having trouble with the alignment, and it was chewing up tires. And so we either need to spend thousands of dollars in tires or hundreds of dollars in alignment. And so we chose the alignment. So I took the bus down to the place. And as you can imagine, not everybody can do an alignment on a 25-passenger bus. It's somewhat of a specialty. So I drove it down to a place that we normally would take it to, but it has a light-duty truck uh, location and a heavy duty truck location. So I'd never been to the heavy duty, but that's where the alignment play thing is. So I went there and immediately when I pulled in, I thought I am in the wrong spot because they were gigantic vehicles. I mean, it was, you know, the XL truck that has the boom on it that comes in like through hurricanes and things like that. It had, they had semis, RVs. I didn't notice specifically, but I'm pretty sure I was the smallest vehicle in the lot. And again, not a car guy, so I thought, well, this is not my place. And I walked in, I was checking in, I looked up, and I saw a filter, an oil filter, that looked like this. (laughs) Are you kidding me? This is the oil filter for my car. This apparently takes out all the junk it needs to in my car. What kind of a vehicle are you driving that this is the amount of junk that has to be taken out? I was fascinated, and I thought, what in the world could that be used for? And so, of course, I got one, and I thought I need to bring it along. Um, I borrowed this one, this one, $850, this one, $80 for your oil filter. Is that a crazy thing? And so I look at that, and as I um, have been preparing for today, I'm the pastor of operations, so I preach once a year, quite honestly, specialize in Labor Day. It's kind of my niche. (laughs) 
My wife works at a school, so we're hardcore into kids are coming this week. No, hey, let's throw in an extra holiday weekend. No, let's make extra plans. And so I preach lots of Labor Days because it just works out quite honestly in my schedule and everyone else's schedule. And so I, as I was praying, praying about this and thinking about this, God kept putting in my mind, you know, that filter thing is all about what you put in your life as well. And so he just kept hammering me with the idea that what is it that you are filtering? And how many things are you filtering like this? And how many things are you filtering like this in your life? And so I want to spend a little time talking about that today because there are lots of filters, hundreds of them, that we could think of off the top of our head, I bet. The most obvious probably these days, political views. I have, I can't remember a time where we are so stuck in one side, if your filter says this is the way you should live, and the other side says their filter says that you should live differently, then not only do they disagree, now you're, and not only are you wrong, I have to hate you on some level. And I look, and maybe that's just my perception and my personality, but it's expressed a lot, whether it's vaccines or elections or you name it. There are filters out there that, that direct us, that take out, because filters, again, take out the junk and take out the destructive things and fill in life-giving, life-affirming things. And we get to decide what we think is life-affirming in our life. And so political views is one of those things. Family dynamics can be that way. I grew up with three boys in my family, no girls. That changes my filter a little bit. Um, wealth, how much money we have. Do we have a lot of money? Can a filter? Do you not have any money? Can be a filter. Experiences you have. Social media. Social media is a huge thing of what are we filtering? How do we, what filter do we have for social media that comes so that you get the life affirming things? and not the destructive things in your life. Age can be a a filter. You don't have to look any farther than a cultural commercials. Geico has a very successful commercial campaign. How do you not turn, we help you not turn into your parents when you buy a house. They're incredibly successful, and if you ask me, hilarious. Just super creative and, you know, and if you never watch a Geico commercial, you're not missing a ton, but they're funny. Sometimes the area you live in or um, your favorite teams can be a, a, a filter. Um, my daughter goes to University of Eau Claire, University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and a couple years ago when she was looking for colleges, one day she came and said, well, what about um, University of Wisconsin-Madison? And I said, no, you can't go there. And she said, why not? And I said, well, because we've been talking about University of Wisconsin has a really quality system and they're reasonably cheap compared to astronomical prices. And uh, she sa- I said, yeah, you can't go there. She goes, why? I said, well, because she can't be a badger. And I apologize for the Wisconsin fans in the room. <laughs> Sorry about that up front. But um, for those of you who don't know, University of Wisconsin-Madison Badgers, University of Minnesota Gophers, uh, both in Big Ten competitors. So, Badgers. So, I said, yeah, can't be a Badger. She goes, why? That, that's a really good school. I said, yeah, of course it is. She goes, yeah, but then what, why, what's the problem? I go, because she can't be a Badger. I, she goes, I don't understand. I said, yeah, I know. I, I can't explain it to you. You just can't go there. And mostly joking, but, you know, maybe not. So, my daughter, being a good granddaughter comes and brings a, a University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire shirt to my father one year. My father, huge Vikings fan, huge Gopher fan. 
my dad has never been, so this is a picture of my dad. He's in the, uh, wearing his University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire shirt, the Blue Golds, I might add. One of the silliest names I've ever heard for mascots. Let's put two colors together and call it that. Um, so my dad, this is my dad, and so when he got that shirt, you could just see the filter physically. He held it up and goes, do you mean I have to wear a Wisconsin shirt? And again, never been to Eau Claire, has no idea what it is, but that filter, it's Wisconsin. So this is him wearing that shirt. Now, I should qualify that to say this is him at my house. A couple weeks ago, he had a surgical procedure. He's doing well. Um, this is crack of dawn at my house where I'm getting ready to take him to the surgery. Now, I don't know if you've had surgery, but you tend to not wear your nicest stuff. That You, you kind of... You kind of tend to wear that t-shirt that if you never saw it again, you know, is it that big a deal? So I didn't ask him about it. I'm probably speaking out of turn, but I just thought, I had laughed and thought, yeah, he's wearing the t-shirt. He's being a good grandfather, but he ain't wearing it to church or nothing. So (laughs) one of those deals. So the list goes on and on for filters that we can have. And so today we're going to talk about what is the Bible? If the Bible is our filter, what does that look like? What type of things are, are there that, that the Bible filter says, filter that out of your life? And is really the Bible this filter? And you got some other stuff that's the real important stuff? Or is the Bible this one? And there's just some other filters that get in the way or sub- supplement that. So I'd like to start with 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 20. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And so basically the verse is saying, Jesus died for all of us. And so because he died for all of us so we could be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with him, we died with him effectively. So the language is um, somewhat challenging in there, but basically going to verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So don't live for yourself, live for Jesus. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, no so, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who has no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. So first of all, what does a relationship with God mean? A relationship with God is simply standing in a position of saying, God, I understand that you are God. You sent Jesus to die for me, and I accept that, and I want a relationship with you, and that gives me victory over my sin, and, and a, a relationship with you. So I'm not going to talk a lot about what that relationship looks like. I'm going to talk about the implications of that relationship. If you don't have a relationship like that or want more information, let me know. Talk to any of the pastoral staff, maybe a friend that brought you to church today um, to help you understand that. But I'm going with the assumption that, that we're basically in that relationship with Jesus or we're aware of that relationship with Jesus. Because from the verses you see in verse 17, if any was in Christ, they are a new creation. In verse 15, you should no longer live for themselves, but for Jesus who died for them. 
Verse 16, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Verse 18, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are Christ's ambassadors. The Bible is clear that we are a new creation if we have a relationship with him. And quite honestly, I'm going to challenge you today that that should change your filter. Because that filter says, hey, here's the worldly view you had before. And it was not that you're ambassadors for God. It was a worldly point of view. And very much so, God contrasts that and says, hey, you're a new creation. You are reconcilers. You are ambassadors. Let's put that in your filter. And so when things come into your life that aren't those things, what do you do with them? Well, if you have a filter like this, you filter them out once in a while and you struggle. If you have a filter like this, that becomes really natural to you to say, this is who I am. God is the filter for my life. God is the thing that shows me what I am as a new creation. And things like reconciler, ambassador, an ambassador is somebody that goes from our land to your land or wherever you live to another land and says, this is who we are. This is what we look like. This is what we value. And this is how we will have relationships with you. And that's what God is saying is if you're in a relationship with me, then you are a new creation. And that new creation filter focuses on reconciliation, focuses on being ambassador. If you don't know God very well, you're not going to be a very good ambassador. And so the implication is there, we have to continue to put ourselves in a position to be touched by God. Continue to put ourselves in a position to experience him and know him and love him. So what does that look like? Well, I think that um, as God was, I think, laying this on my heart for this week, um, I'm just going to talk about three different filters. Um, There are many, many others. Some of these you're maybe struggling with along the way. Some of these are you're really good at, and that's okay, because that's the idea of um, pursuing God and experiencing him. And so as a as one application of what filter do you need, um, Jesus is asked early in his ministry, um, tell us about um, what's the greatest commandment. He says, love God and love others. Well, I think that's a pretty big filter. How are we supposed to approach life? Well, we're supposed to love God and love others. And if Jesus is saying that's the greatest commandment, that's kind of something that's important that we should do and maybe even do first. And as we love God, we, it's about moving in a relationship with him where God is alive in our life, where the Holy Spirit walks alongside of us and speaks into us. And I'm not going to read a bunch of verses about this, but it's very much the Holy Spirit is there to challenge us and encourage us and give us wisdom and all of those things. And so oftentimes the relationships with God can be that um, this kind of filter that's this the tiny one is, yeah, I go to church every once in a while and... I pray and I do some good stuff. And that's, we got that God filter for me. Others, I think the Bible is talking about, you know, this is a big deal. You are a new creation. You are different than you were before. And so as you grow, that filter just gets bigger and bigger on how do we love God? How do we be experience him in a way that's alive? And it's not just biblical knowledge. Because we have a lot of biblical knowledge when we don't apply that. Then that, I, I wouldn't say that's a very good filter. Because the Bible talks about this, or theology anyway, talks about this word sanctification. Sanctification is the idea that you are continuing to step and walk alongside God, and you are going to continue to grow closer and closer to him. 
Because the reality is, us accepting God doesn't take away all of our pain, all of our struggles, any of those kind of stuff. It doesn't immediately make us a person who's, who's got that God filter. It's a practice thing. It's a working through life. It's a walking alongside. It's the Holy Spirit challenging you and encouraging you. Romans 8, 9 in the New Living Translation says, You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says, Love always. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Do you see the filter there? You're not controlled by your sinful nature. And so things from your sinful nature that come along, if you have a God filter, it's, those are damaging to us. Those are the very essence of the things that the filter is designed to remove. But what do we let through? What is the lifeblood? Love protects. It trusts. It hopes. It perseveres. And that's loving God as we love others. We realize that that, that same kind of focus translates into how we love other people. We talk a lot about um, our values here at Ways That Are Free is um, worship, care, uh, community, and service. And that's the idea of us coming into God's presence individually, and we can worship, but corporately as we come together to do these things in worship services or small groups or whatever, it's the worship of God. It's the honoring him. It's the focusing on how do I grow my God filter of um, being more and more like who he is, more and more like that his essence and his beauty comes through in my life rather than what I naturally can do. And so that's worship. We do that with community where we, again, we do that together here. Um, Bruce and I are going to share at the end a little bit about different opportunities you have to be in community as a church, uh, as the body of Christ, as a people of God. Um, community is a huge thing throughout the Bible. And then serve, if we're talking about loving God and loving other people, service is a part of that. It's walking alongside somebody. It's investing in their life. It's speaking into who they are. Because if we are a new creation... We are God's ambassadors. We are reconcilers. That's the things that we're, that's the lifeblood that gives us our action. Romans 12.10 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That's not just, hey, I, you know, I can't stand that person, but yeah, I'm loving you. It's genuine affection. It's taking delight in honoring others. That's what the kind of love that God challenges us to. And too often we go, okay, I'll do that. And then we go out and we try ourselves. And that's not how it works. Because our human physical frailties and limitations get in the way. Because we judge you. Because you didn't do something I liked. But if we're walking along with God, he says, do it with genuine affection. Honoring each other. Not just putting up with them. It's honoring them. One of the staff people one day in staff meeting says, we should love enough that your rightness doesn't matter. Love enough that you being right, your rightness doesn't matter. Live so people are heard and valued. Because our place isn't to fix other people. That's God's job. Our job is to be reconcilers. And so we don't make them be reconciled. We present that and we speak to them and we pray about them and we work alongside the Holy Spirit. And whether it's in your life or other people's life, that has to be a Holy Spirit reality for us to truly love people and love others. One of my favorite verses lately um, 
came about because I've had a, a couple times lately where I've done funerals and had some loss in my own family, and um, it's just kind of been a, a prevalent thing for me. And so in one of the funerals I was preparing for, um, 2 Corinthians 1 as a passage that came forward, and I think it talks a lot about the idea that how do we um, love other people and how does God work into that, especially when it's pain and loss. All praise to God the Father, the God and Father of our Master. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We have a full measure of that too. I love that imagery of when we go through hard times, God comes alongside of us and loves us up. And before we know it, we are walking alongside somebody else and loving them up because we saw God do that in our life. What a great promise that is. What a great vision of community and, and new creation and reconcilers and ambassadors walking alongside who God wants us to be. Kevin Myers talked about this a lot as he's gone through Acts, our senior pastor, the last several weeks um, and months has gone through Acts and, and a couple weeks ago talked about um, Paul suffering. He was in a place he continues to get beat up for his faith and he was lonely and God sent friends to him to, to spend some time with him. And, and the truth is, as we love God and love other people, it doesn't take away the trauma in life. There's still trauma all the time. There's challenges and struggles all the time. But it does give us some compassion and hope and joy and peace through that time. And we're going to talk a lot about this fall, about um, being better together. Um, and the idea and concept is just we're focusing on that community. We've been a church that for the last year, year and a half, just like everybody else has been, you can't come in, you got, you can't, we got to segment by a certain distance, and we're still struggling with that a little bit, or a lot bit, but the reality is better together is, is, is really a community concept that says God created us to invest and speak to others, and whether that's Zoom calls or in person, that doesn't matter as much as just us being better together, that we challenge each other, encourage each other, and com- come alongside each other. So the first filter I'd like to challenge you with, I think, is the Bible says, what's the greatest commandment? Love God and love other people. If your filter is not allowing you to love God and love other people, then I think you've got to look at your new creation status. And I would challenge you to think through that. One of my struggles for this sermon is, uh, this is a somewhat of a confrontive statement. You should, be a, you should have a different filter on some of these things. Don't focus on your worldly desires. Focus on godly desires. Yeah, I'm a pretty linear thinker that just says, okay, what if we're not doing that? Then I think that's a challenge for us. And it's a growth area that we have opportunity. Um, so in addition to greatest commandment, love God out of others, I think the Bible talks all the time about humility. Philippians 2, 2 through 4 says, Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement with being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love... If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I love how the Bible and God um, lays things out against each other. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Because we're humans. We're sinful. We struggle. We love selfish ambition. We love the power that comes with that. We love the vain conceit. And yet God says, don't do those things. That's the worldly part. Let's get, let's put up your filter so that those things get caught and don't damage your life. But instead, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interests. Now Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life back a, a generation ago, it seems like at this point, says true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking about yourself less. And I love that because I'm a huge fan of strengths. God says, he, he comes and says, I'm going to bless you with some of these things that because I'm really good at certain things and you're really good at certain things. Humility is not denying those things. It's just thinking less of ourselves or less often of ourselves. Because humility is the idea that, hey, I have something to give, but it's not about me. It's about God. And a new creation, I argue, is about us acknowledging God is the provider of who we are and what we do. The reason I can stand up in front of hundreds of people today, and it wouldn't intimidate me to be thousands of people today, and I've always been able to do that, is because God made me that way. Sure, I practiced. Sure, I went to school. Sure, I did those things. But I was pretty good at it when I started. At least the fear part. You can decide if I'm good at it from the word part. <laughs> it's just not intimidating for me. And yet, how can that be the greatest fear that some people have? Are you kidding me? You guys are not nearly as scary as they think you are. But that's something that God gave me. And whether it's abilities or things in our life or situations or opportunities or whatever, if we are in a relationship with God, I would suggest that new creation is about us acknowledging God is the God in this relationship. And I am not. And we struggle with words like deserve. I hate the word deserve. I really dislike it passionately. Because our world says all the time, well, you didn't deserve that. Or you deserve to have better than that. Why? Because we were in the right situation or the wrong situation or whatever. It's not about a deserving thing. I think that's a completely different aspect of the filter. The filter says, yes, there's going to be some trauma that is going to be horrible. But that's not a deserving thing. You didn't deserve it or not deserve it. And we live in a world that says you earn things and you get things. And and I would suggest that gets in the way of humility. Because now it's, I deserve this. So if you don't give it to me, now I'm a problem. And we're going to spin back in that, what does love look like? What does loving other people look like? Are we having compassion for them? Are we trusting? Are we persevering? Are we doing all the things the Bible challenges us to? And number one, it's not about power. We live so often about power. I'm in a position of power, therefore I'm in charge, therefore I'm better than, and you less than. That's not what a new creation looks like. That's not what a reconciler looks like. That's not what an ambassador looks like. And as we walk along, not only are we loving God and love other people, but we're doing it humbly. 
acknowledging God is a God in this relationship. Uh, Colossians 3, 11 through 13, and I'll pick it up in verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's thoughts, faults, sorry, and forgive other, uh, anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Do you see that as a filter? And what if we as a church and what if we as a people lived a filter that says, we make allowances for other people's faults. Turns out other people aren't perfect. I'll make an allowance for that. Turns out I can forgive people because I know what it means to be forgiven by God. Turns out I can live with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. But that's the Holy Spirit working in my life, speaking to me, challenging me, growing a God-like filter that's gigantic instead of a God-like filter that's wimpy. Still effective, still does the same thing, but it does it much less and does it much less effectively. The third thing I'd like to talk about is um, generosity. So I just brought another visual that is more fun than applicable, but I couldn't resist. So I'm going to talk about time and money. And I'm going to just group them together because they're different, but this is a sand thing. It will drip through there in an hour and six minutes. So I should be done by the time that's done. If I'm not, that's a problem. So we have time and we have money and we have gener, and I'm just going to put that as a lump together in generosity. The Bible talks a lot about generosity, ladies and gentlemen, and people say, yeah, people don't like talking about money. I'm a pastor of operations. I kind of like talking about money. (laughs) I like talking about money a lot because money makes it possible for us to align the wheels of a bus to take 25 kids to a local um, mobile home park to tell them about Jesus. Money makes it possible for us to come to a place like this and sit and hear about God and worship. Plus, I think God has gifted me in some of the generosity, so it's, it's easier for me to talk about with the money piece because it's not a struggle for me. But I think, but I watch from my, especially from my position, it'd be a struggle for a lot of people. So what does the Bible say about money? Well, 16 of Jesus' 38 parables deal with money. 42% of the time, Jesus talked in a story and told people a story, life is like this, it was about money. 2,350 verses about money and possessions in the Bible. 2,350 compared to 500 about faith and prayer. You know what churches like to talk about? Faith and prayer. There's 500 verses about faith and prayer. We don't like talking about money. There's four times as many verses about money. Why aren't we talking about that? Because it's individual, it's private, it's a struggle, it's don't judge me. One in seven verses in the gospel deal with money. Gospels being the first beginning of the first uh, the New Testament. And First Timothy six nine through eleven is kind of our standard um, verse on that. Where but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. 
that plunge him into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil, and for some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with along with faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. Again, you see the contrast. And I, I want to clarify, which hopefully you've heard, it's the love of money that's the problem. It's not money. It's not bad if you have money. It's if you love that, that leads you to challenges. And it's contracted the love of money with pursue righteousness and a godly life. Faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. Do you hear the filter there? Get rid of that love of money. When love of money comes in your life, we need a filter from the Holy Spirit that catches that. And there's a lot of ways to do that. And I'd love to talk about that if anybody's interested. But one of the truths that I think is vital if you understand, as we talk about generosity, God doesn't need your money. He's doing it not for his benefit, but for our benefit. What? Because he knows if you are living as a new creation and money is not ruling who you are and you can be generous with your time and your money, that changes your heart. That changes your ability to love God and love other people. That changes your ability to be reconcilers, to be ambassadors. And I want to be clear, this is not about giving money to the church. We really like it when you give money to the church. But we really like it when you give money to other people too. And so, hear me, don't walk away thinking, oh, it's the operation guy just saying, give me more money. It's not. Because it's not about us. It's about each of our hearts, individually. And you will never hear me say, yep, you should give this way, or you should give this amount. Every time you hear me up here, I will say, you should give according to how God is leading you. Because the tricky part about money is you can be generous with nothing and not generous with a lot. So you see the story of Jesus was one time in the temple watching and this woman came and they called a widow's mite. She was a widow and had nothing and gave this pennies, probably less than pennies. And Jesus said, she's the most generous person in here because she's giving of her nothingness and still being generous. And so that's the problem. When people say, well, how much should I give? And historically, a tithe would be 10% or whatever. As soon as we start figuring that out, it becomes transactional instead of transformational. Transactional is, okay, I look at this and I give 10%. And if I do that, assuming I do that, um, which most people do not, but let's just assume we are, um, we give 10%. Okay, well, what happens when there's a hurricane? What happens when there's people that are in trouble and trauma and need financial help? Gave them a 10%. That's a transactional deal. And if you are in a position right now where you're not given anything, then 1% is a sweet gig. And some of us have to rearrange our, our lives and our hearts because we don't even have the capacity to go 1%. But I tell you, with 2,350 verses in the Bible about generosity... This is kind of an important deal. And again, you can give generously time or money. But the money is the easiest to say, how much are you pulling in and what are you doing with it? And again, this is a challenging thing. And um, as I was thinking about this, I thought, I don't want to end with, with telling people they've got to be more generous. It's just so confrontive and challenging. 
Yeah, I think it's confrontive and challenging. When God says you're a new creation, be ambassadors, be reconcilers. Be generous. Don't love money. Focus on some other things. I think we need to not do those things. And what do we do with our time? I think just focus where we put our energy. Me, that, I'm hit and miss. I do that really well sometimes. Other times I'm pretty into comfort. I really like watching TV. And coming alongside people when they're hurting, that takes time. That takes energy. I'm not sure I want to give all the time. That is a struggle for me. Finances, easier. So, if you have trouble with those kind of things, one of my encouragement is, if you're not a very good person with prayer, go find somebody that's good with prayer and walk alongside them. Have them help you figure out how to be a better prayer. Same with generosity. If you can't figure out how to be generous, give me a call. I'll walk alongside that with you. You're not going to like a lot of the things I say, but that's okay. I feel good about myself most times. And we're going to walk alongside people. If we're going to grow in our relationship with God, those things take time. So, as you're looking at that, if we are going to be a new creation, if we're going to be reconciled, if we're going to be ambassadors, three things I picked out were filters in my own life that I think God is reminding me about or teaching me about. Loving God and loving other people. Hum, humility. Generosity. There could be, he could be teaching you about 58 different other filters. And that's okay. Go with those filters. Don't take mine. So I wasn't sure really how to end this because, again, I don't want to end on a downer, so I'm just going to read some Bible verses. The Bible's good. For we are, and they're not slide-worthy Bible verses either. I'm just going to read some. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. King said, I will tell you the truth. When you did this for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did it for me. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out of the darkness, and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. Pure and genuine religion is in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Do you hear the filter in that? And God wants to help you with that filter and make that God filter huge. And some of us, that's going to make a lot of sense too. Some of us got a long way to go on that. And that's okay. And I'm not here to tell you you're good or you're bad or you're not adequate. It's none of my business. It's God's relationship with you that is the important part. So again, not about the church. Don't care. Well, I do care. I care a lot if you're generous to the church or not. But that's not why I'm talking about generosity. There are great ministries doing great, exciting things out there. There are neighbors that you have that need help with their mortgage. There are, and I could go on and on and on and on. So how do we do that? Well, we ask the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit can be, do more than we can ask or imagine. What a great picture that is. We are a new creation. So I'm going to end. Lily's going to come lead a song. Then we're going to do a quick transition. Bruce Drugsma uh, is going to come up and join me. One of the challenges of September is we have all these plans and things, activities, and a lot of times the congregation goes, ooh, it's September. How did that happen? 
So we are just going to review some, some opportunities you have, whether it's worship, community, service, being better together. Um, so um, let's worship together.